It's good to be back with you after a couple of weeks on vacation. Um, I do feel relaxed and, and refreshed. Uh, the first week was kind of hard to relax because we were in a house of 23 people, children and adults included. We all got together at my brother-in-law's house in uh, the Denver area. Uh, so it was never a dull moment. I did get away for an afternoon to try my hand at fly fishing. So I didn't catch anything, but I did enjoy I did enjoy God's creation. And then a week in northern Illinois with Josie's parents. And that was a great time. And that was kind of more relaxing because it was just us and her parents, just us as a family. And then we got home and got some bad news a couple of days later. Josie got a call that her grandmother passed away. Her maternal grandmother passed away. And she was really close to this grandmother, Grandma Amici. Uh, she was 88 years old. She was in failing health. Not completely unexpected, but it did kind of catch us off guard. We had been with her, visiting with her while we were up there. So Josie's on her way back down, even as we speak now, with the, with the kids. She was up there for the funeral with the kids. So keep that family in prayer. And uh, Grandma Amici was a great woman of faith who had a heart to share Christ and there are people in her family who, who need to hear the gospel in a fresh way. And so my prayer has been that God uses this um, to bring people to him in that family. One of the things that we did when we were on vacation in Colorado is we went to downtown Boulder. Have you been to downtown Boulder? It's an exciting place. It's a vibrant place, diverse place. It's a university town. And uh, we enjoyed our time there. And there's a section called Pearl Street, this Pearl Street Plaza. And uh, so that's where we were for dinner. But I have to admit, I, I, as I was walking down that main uh, street, I felt a little bit like Paul in the city of Athens. Remember Paul in Athens in Acts 17? It talks about how he's in the great city of Athens and he saw all these idols. And it says that his spirit was disturbed, provoked within him. And I felt a little bit like that in downtown Boulder because everywhere I looked, there are these alternative paths to Christ. We went into a, a bookstore and I went to the religion section. I'm sure you've had this experience. You, this is common even here in St. Louis, but there was hardly any, I didn't see one book on Christ or Christianity. You had Eastern religion, you had Hinduism, Buddhism, very prominent there. But I didn't. There, it might have been there, but it wasn't in a conspicuous place there was nothing I could see about Christianity or Jesus Christ in that religion section then out on the street there was a psychic I think who had set up a table and uh, he was there to do consultations with people he had tarot cards and crystals and there were people talking to him and then at the end of the night I went to a, there was this, this place where people were putting billboards or advertisements on this billboard, posters and such. And there was an advertisement for a spiritual awakening, and that caught my attention. And it was advertising a guru coming to town who was going to lead people in chant and guided meditation. And he promised harmony with the cosmos and spiritual power. And I thought, you know, this is this is the culture that we're in spiritually. Somebody has says, said it's ABC spirituality. Anything but Christ goes. Anything but Christianity. There's still a hunger for spirituality, but it's ABC 
anything but Christ. This is the climate we live in today. How do we, as followers of Christ, maintain faithfulness to Him and not bow to the pressure or be influenced by these currents of culture and taken away from Christ? Well, this is what Paul is talking about in our reading from Colossians. Of course, the people in this church community were also living in a very pluralistic society. They were raised and living in a pagan culture where there are many gods and goddesses clamoring for their attention. And Paul says in the midst of this culture, I want you to continue on with Christ. Walk in Him. Rooted in Him. Built up in Him. Established in Him. Just as you've been taught. And abounding in thanksgiving. That's verses 6 and 7. And then in 8 through 14, what he does is he gives a warning and he reminds them of some important truths. A warning and a reminder to people who are living in a culture where all these alternative spiritualities are on display. And I think we need to hear this warning and reminder this morning. And the warning comes in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul is warning that these alternative spiritual paths, alternatives to Christ, or additions to Christ, are empty. And they're designed to take people captive. The word there is this image of somebody who's a spoil of war, who's been made a slave in war. They're designed to take people captive and draw them away from Christ and His sufficiency and His supremacy. And he says that these teachings are not according to God's revelation. This is not who God has revealed himself to be, but according to man's imagination. According to human tradition, he says. And then behind this human tradition are elemental spirits of the world at the end of verse eight. And I think he's talking there about spiritual forces of evil who seek to kill and steal and destroy people. Uh, that phrase, elemental forces of the world, is a phrase that Paul uses in other places. And it was kind of common in the first century in religious literature. And scholars who've looked at this say he's talking, they believe, many scholars, about spiritual forces of evil that are behind these alternative paths, alternative ways, or additions to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is issuing a clear warning. Watch out, he says. If it's not according to Christ, what you've received from Him, then it's a trap. Then it's a trap. Now, here's the thing about traps. Um, the only trap that I've ever used 
is a mouse trap. So I don't know a whole lot about traps, but just at the level of common sense, the only way a trap works is the bait. The bait has to look good. The bait has to be alluring to the prey. You can't set a mouse trap out, even though you might know this is where the mouse, the mice are running. This is their path and just set the trap out without any bait. There has to be something on there, but cheese, peanut butter I've used before. And when they run across it, something kicks into their little mice brains or their instincts and says, that's what I need. That's what I want. Something allures them, draws them in. It looks good to them. And when they take that step, it's too late. By the time they take it, they've been captured. They've been ensnared. And there was something about this spirituality, this alternative spirituality that was appealing, alluring to the people in this community. We have a little bit of a, a, a list of what was uh, being taught by these false teachers in chapter two later on. He talks about the worship of uh, of angels. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. Verse 18, going in detail about divisions. Puffing themselves up without reason. So there was there was an appeal to angel worship because in this culture is, again, the kind of pagan folk religion. You had to appeal to the spiritual beings or the angelic beings who were in control of spiritual forces. Astrology was very big in these days. And some people believe that, that, that there were spiritual beings that were connected to these stars and these astral powers, and you had to appease them through ritual or incantations or feastings or festivals on certain days. And this would lead you into more spiritual power and perhaps even visions. So there was that kind of pagan folk spirituality that was appealing to some people with a sprinkling of Jewish legalism. You can read uh, 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 the list that Paul gives in verses 16 through 19. I won't go into all of it. But there was something that was appealing to them. And that's why it was a trap. Well, what about us? What are the traps out there in our culture that suggest to us that Christ is not enough? That Christ is not sufficient. You know, Paul says here very clearly, in Christ, all the deity dwells fully in his body. The fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ. Verse 9. So all that you need of God is in Christ. He's supreme. He's sufficient. He's the head of all rule and authority. But then we have these alternative paths or additions to Christ and his work that lure people in. And they're traps. Well, what are some of the traps, spiritually speaking, in our day? Well, you could probably think of some things. I, I, I thought about, you know, a popular spiritual um, perspective that's out there today is that Jesus is a founder of a religion, but he is like other founders of religion. He's a spiritual guide, but there are other spiritual guides. And it really doesn't matter who you follow as long as it works for you. And the question of truth is bracketed. The question of who has God revealed to the world is set aside 
And the issue becomes pragmatism. What works for me? That's a popular spiritual view. And there's a lot of sophisticated arguments to go along with it. And there are people who are tempted to go down that path and forget the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ or to no longer believe. Or what about this popular spirituality that's very current in our day and in our popular culture and in TVs and movies? This is kind of the American spirituality. It is the God within. God is in you and God is in me and God is in the trees and God is everywhere. And if God is everywhere, I guess God is nowhere specifically, particularly. And that's the point. There is no particular revelation of God. God is everywhere. And if you just dig deep enough and find your supreme self, that's the language that's used in books like Eat, Pray, Love which was a massive bestseller in our culture, if you just find that God within and that supreme self, guess what? You can live however you want and believe whatever you want because you're God. That's appealing to a lot of people. It's a trap. It's not according to Christ. Well, what about the theology that says, yeah, God saves you by grace through faith, but then there are these hoops you've got to jump through, these these religious duties that you have to do in order to access that grace and earn that favor with God. You have to add on to what Christ has done to secure your salvation. That's a trap. To say Christ is not enough. His work on the cross doesn't completely save me. I've got to do these other things. And one commentator said to add to Christ is to subtract from Christ. You get that? To add to Christ's work is to say it's not enough. And that is to subtract from Christ and His glory. So Paul's warning here. Don't go down these paths. Maybe you can think of some other ways spiritually that are alluring and even tugging at you in this culture today. Well, then Paul issues this reminder. So the warning of the spiritual dangers and then the reminder of what Christ has done for us. In verse 11, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In Judaism, we know, of course, that the marker of identity for for males was um, circumcision. This marked you off as belonging to the people of God in Judaism. It was a sign of belonging to the covenant community of God in Judaism. And Paul says to these Gentiles, you also have been set apart. You also have been made a new people. You also have been given new life through a spiritual circumcision. If you are in Christ, you have been set apart to be a new people and you have been given this new life, this new power that's in him so that you don't have to walk according to the flesh. And baptism is a symbol and a sign of this. It's a symbol of dying to the old way of life 
and rising again to the new way of life. A sacrament of baptism doesn't work magically or mechanically because he goes on and he says in verse 12, he says, talking about baptism in which you were raised with him through faith. So we put our faith in the promises that God has given us in baptism and we walk in those promises about the new life that's in Christ. And that's our identity as his people. We have to remember in this culture our baptism. That we've been marked. That we've been set apart. And in baptism, God makes promises through Christ. And we need to appropriate those promises and walk in them. We don't have to live according to the dictates of the flesh. Fallen human nature. Yes, we still struggle with the flesh. We're still sinners. And we still struggle with sin. But sin does not have to have the dominion and the power and the control over the one who's in Christ. I think it was Martin Luther who said, every day I have to bury the old man in the waters of baptism. Remembering his baptism. And remembering that, no, my essential self is not my sinful fallen nature. I am in Christ. And that's what Paul is reminding these Colossians. Remember who you are. What Christ has done for you. He's given you new life. He set you free. He is the greatest power. He's the head of all rule and authority, he says. Remember some time ago hearing a testimony by an Anglican priest who also teaches at, at Beeson Divinity School. I believe that's in Birmingham. And um, the priest's name is Lyle Dorset. And he talks about how this new life came into, into his life when he was in his uh, 30s or so, I think. He had just finished his Ph.D. and he was on academic on a, on a track to become a tenured professor. He was an academic and he was struggling with faith. He was doubting God. He had been raised in a Christian environment, but but he was struggling at this point in his life to believe in God. And he was also struggling with alcohol. That was a power over him. And he had just finished this major research project. Maybe he just finished publishing a book, something like that. And he decided that he was going to celebrate by going on a binge. So he went to the bar and he closed the bar down. This is, he's married, he's got kids. He grabs a six pack and he goes up into the mountains of Colorado, just where I was at. He was in Boulder. He went up in the mountains and he drank himself into a blackout. The next day, he found himself in his car down at the bottom of the mountain. And he doesn't remember driving down, he says. And at that moment, he realized that God had saved his life. And he cried out to the Lord, if you're there, help me. If you're there, help me. And he said the presence of God came into that car. And he felt... That God was saying to him, I love you in spite of your wretchedness. And he offered him new life. And Lyle Dorset said he started to go to the AA meetings. And he became one of those guys who testified in the AA meetings about what Jesus had done for him. Jesus is the highest power, he proclaimed in those meetings. That changed his life. The liberating power of Christ, the new life of Christ whether it's alcohol or anger, whether it's porn or depression 
or hopelessness or despair. In Jesus Christ, there is power and there's freedom and there's new life. Boy, this is the message the world needs to hear today. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God. He is the power of God unto salvation. And Paul is saying, if you've experienced this, why would you want to walk away from it? Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the power over sin. Remember the forgiveness of sins, which he won for you at the cross. Verse 13. Look at that. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And I love this by canceling, verse 14, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, we were legally in debt to God because we've broken his holy law. In the Old Testament reading, Abraham calls God the just. The just one who will do what is right. He is a God of justice. But we also saw God, he's a God of mercy and love and forgiveness. And he offered a solution to our problems. The record of debt stood against us. How would you like to see a record of all your sins against a holy God? How would you like to stand in the presence of this judge, the judge of the whole universe, with that record next to you? Well, the good news is you don't have to. And I don't have to. Because at the cross, God nailed it to the cross and wiped it away. He set it aside, it says. And he disarmed, verse 15, the rulers and authorities, any spiritual forces of evil that have a claim against us. And put them to open shame. At the cross he triumphed over them. Because he set people free. From the power and penalty of sin. At the cross of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for what God has given you? And Paul is saying. If you remember all this. When you're tempted to go down another path. When you're tempted to give up on Christ. When these other alternative spiritualities or additions to what Christ has done began to tempt you, look to the cross of Christ and remember what He's done for you and the salvation you have in Him. So I want to end where Paul began in this passage. Let's just look again at verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, when did you do that? Maybe as a young person, maybe as a child. Maybe teenager, young adult, middle age, maybe recently. But as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in Him. Don't walk down another path, walk in Him. He is supreme, He's sufficient. Rooted in Him and built up in Him. Put your roots in Christ. Allow Him to build you up. And established in the faith. Just as you were taught, Paul, representing the apostolic tradition, says, here's the truth about Christ. Let's continue to follow the apostolic tradition that God gave us. And then I love that he adds abounding, overflowing in thanksgiving, because that is the energy that is the, the, the mindset that will propel us to continue on with Christ as we are thankful 
for who He is and what He's done for us. Amen.